Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Adelics? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. How are you? Everything all right? Is it? Is it? If it sounds different, it's because I am not at home. I am away. I am on a, uh, a vacation. I'm, I'm inland. I'm, I'm off the coast. Some fears are alleviated. I have a lot of time, a lot of space in my mind. Obviously, things in the world are difficult and horrible, and we lost a, a great comedic and social activist warrior. Uh, two days ago, Dick Gregory died. He was an old man, but he was very vital and very... Uh, it's important that, to have that generation of creative activists around as a point of reference, as a force of nature. Uh, it's always upsetting when uh, when great people that have made an impact on on the life of our culture and our individual lives pass away i had the uh, privilege of of interviewing dick gregory with sam cedar years ago in 2009 when we did break room live i i don't know that we interviewed him i think we got a lesson i i think that sam and i uh, looking back on it sat there and listened to a, a wise uh, angry, righteous old Buddha who had come to the show, had come to the studio with a can of Alpo dog food to make a point to us that, uh, and it was a, a very articulate point and it was based on packaging and social um, evidence, numbers, uh, cultural understanding that uh, a, a good deal of the dog food sold in Inner city, inner city and urban areas was not being eaten by dogs. And it was a, a, a painful point, but it was, and there was some humor in it. But as many people, I think, who followed Dick Gregory know that, he, you know, he was one of the first real social satirists, one of the first people to integrate uh, political uh, criticism into his routines, along with Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce and some others. Uh, Mort Saul is still alive in his 90s. Lenny obviously has passed. And uh, now Dick Gregory is gone. But as his career went on, he, he focused more on activism and on a lot of levels and, uh, and chose to fight that fight in that way. Marched in Selma, was part of the civil rights uh, movement uh, at the time and always all through his life. I, it just, 
you know, whether you kept up with him or not, or whether you know his history or not, it's something you should look into. His records are hilarious, and, and also his life was important. And you should, uh, you know, connect with that if you can. I mean, I need to more. I need to now look back at the career of Dick Gregory. But these guys who are that age of that generation are are, are gone, and, and times are bad, and you wonder who's going to fill that, who's going to fill that void. So rest in peace, Dick Gregory. You were important, and uh, what you stood for is important and still important, and you will be missed. If you can sense a, a slight tightness, uh, you know, in, in my chest or in my voice, it's because I am where I grew up, and later this afternoon, I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to go to where it started. I'm going to go see my father and something happens to me mentally i don't know about you guys but something happened it's you know i know i gotta be fortified i gotta be you know on point i gotta be not ready for a battle but just sort of like protected insulated uh no no uh no openings no vulnerabilities but yet pleasant and respectful that's how i handle it now stay tough be pleasant be respectful uh and uh you know try to to see where he's at and what's going on, what he needs, and just to, you know, get out without falling apart. I don't know if that's a great father-son relationship, but that's the one that I have. <laughs> and I'll let you know how that goes. Today on the show, doubleheader, it's uh, Ms. Pat and uh, Brent Weinbach. Two uh, extraordinarily different individuals and comedians, but uh, both very interesting, that's for sure. Uh, the first being with uh, Miss Pat, uh, who you've heard before here on the show uh, a little while ago. We we talked uh, long and hard uh, about her life and about you know growing up as a uh, young <laughs> drug dealer in, in a in a crazy you know environment, and uh, and now she's got a book out. It's called Rabbit: The Autobiography of Miss Pat. It's available now for pre order and is in stores tomorrow. August 22nd. I love talking to Pat because you, you talk to her for a little while. There's a whole new world for her coming from what she came from, you know, coming from the ghetto and coming from horrendous adversity and then, you know, making her way into a, a, a comfortable, relatively comfortable middle-class existence where she takes care of a lot of children, hers and others, and, uh, and also became a successful comic because she was able to elevate her personal stories of horror, sadness, violence, insanity uh, into something that uh, you know people can understand and relate to and see into a world that many of us don't know because we haven't experienced it we can pretend like we have an idea or pretend or, or possibly have empathy or compassion but to really hear it and to know it and to feel it is uh, is something that a lot of us are not privy to and talking to Pat is always uh, uh, funny but an education but now she's you know, she's in this situation where they're they're working on developing a show for her. You know, the book is uh, about to come out. It's great. So it's sort of interesting to to talk to her at this point where she's in this whole new world of potential success. She doesn't quite feel comfortable there. And uh, and, and also just to, to sort of play that against, you know, her life and what she comes from is great. It, I just I, I love seeing her. I love talking to her. And um yeah, I hope it. I, I hope it all works out. 
I, I think it's a, it's very exciting possibility. So this is me talking to uh, to Miss Pat. Enjoy this. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts yes so the book is like this is exciting it's very a, it's exciting. A, exciting it's it's just called rabbit just called rabbit and that was your nickname that was my nickname. we talked about it yeah. now this is a uh, like you know obviously you've been doing stand-up a long time but the book the process of writing a book that must have been sort of a, a new thing how did it work Man, it was <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be the last one, Pat. Is yes, this the last Lord. One? Oh, it was it was rough, and I didn't write the book by myself. Right, I'm not gonna sit here and lie. You know, I, like I said last time on your show, I dropped out in eighth grade. Hey, I can count money, but writing is not my thing. <laughs> A lovely lady by the name of Janine Amber in New York heard me on your podcast yeah. yours and Ari and came up and said I can. I think I can write a book and I'm from the streets and first thing I said well get out of my face or I slap your head off of that bullshit <laughs> but she turned out to be real <laughs> and so you, she basically wrote it with you in the sense that you tell her stories and I you put them together yeah and it was a process because you know trying to call back to you know I'm from I'm from the inner city of Atlanta so you calling those people from your past and asking them to talk to somebody about writing a book yeah. and she's a very well spoken black lady and the first thing they would always ask she white I ain't talking to no white woman I said she black and my brother was like well uh, he, he said he asked he said are you black she said yes I'm black he said well damn you got all your education we just dropped the phone we couldn't stop laughing so I had to warn her hey these people gonna say what the hell they wanna say and it's gonna be a little shocking but they some honest people and then I had to warn them that she was black and it's okay to talk to her <laughs> oh my god so that that was a process so I was like can you put a little more a little more <laughs> slang in your vocabulary. She's, she would be on the call with these people from my past. Uh, beg your pardon? What you mean, beg your pardon? I'm hanging up. No, no, no. She mean, excuse me. <laughs> How many people did you guys have to track down? Oh, quite a few. Really? Yeah, we had to quite, me, my old, the old guy who I was partnership with, he didn't want to talk to her. He was like, uh, I was like, yeah. Tell how much cocaine we saw. Uh, oh, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to get in trouble. You changed the names, though, right? Yes, I did. I changed everybody's name. <laughs> you but, got and, it. When I, once, once we made them comfortable, they started to talk. But that, yeah. that, that was a process. So how far back? You went all the way back. All, all the, way the way back to your memory. All the way back to my childhood. Did you find people that you didn't know were still alive or you knew they were all still alive? 
Like, did, were you surprised to find some people? or did you Yeah, I was know? surprised to find some people that were still alive. I yeah? really was. Yeah, I bet. And I was surprised to find out stuff about me. Like, with my old with my old partner, he was like, yeah, you started, his mama was a big Christian. He was like, yeah, you started my mama selling drugs. And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> there was a lady who went to church every Sunday. He was like, yeah, you she used to, used to uh, pay her to hold your stuff. I was like, for real? I kind of felt bad when they started telling me stuff about myself. You didn't remember. Some of the stuff. I didn't remember. I did not remember putting his mama in the drug game because she went to church every Sunday. <laughs> so that was that was. I you, learned a lot about myself. You were a little a little worse than you thought you were. Yes, I was. <laughs> yes, I was. My and my husband. It was shocking to my husband too after he read the book because a lot of the stories I never told him. Oh, that's always weird. That happens like a lot of times in here I'll talk and my girlfriend's like, I didn't know that about you. Or sometimes people, when I talk to them, people who know them, they're like, I had no idea. And I've known him for 20 years. Yeah. It's weird. Like what? Like what didn't he know? Um, He didn't know. Like I told her, I said, well, I re- really wasn't into to, uh, to stout guys. My husband wasn't fat, but he was thick. Yeah. I said, but I needed my rent paid. Yeah. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons why he was a nice guy. Right. I and he's like, I never knew that. I <laughs> said, but I thought I told you I didn't like you, but you had a job and you could read. So we was going to work this thing out. He's like, you never told me that crap. You never told ne- me. Never quite put it like that. You probably had a little more game than that. <laughs> and it was a lot of stuff about my ex that he did not know. The old and- man? Well, the yeah. one from uh, who, who knocked you up when you were 14? 13. 13. Yeah. That I had guy. A baby at thir- yeah. He didn't know a lot about him because we never discussed it. One thing my husband always said, Mark, he said, look, I am not your kid's father. I'm stepping in, but do not put him down. The Don't put the other guy yeah, down? Yeah, don't put him down. You know, don't let your let If he's not here, let your, at least leave a door open so they can get to know him when they get yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. So my husband didn't know all the, a lot of the stuff he had done to me. When he read the book, he was like, fuck that dude. And I had never heard him ever in 23 years, 24 years. He's never, ever spoke bad about that guy until after he read that book. Oh, boy. Did you track that guy down for the book? Yeah. You yeah, did? but he, he wouldn't really talk. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't really talk. No kidding. No. He, all he would say is, uh, I'm going to sue you. I said, well, good, because if you do, you was behind on your child support, I'd get it right back. <laughs> Please sue me. <laughs> I've been trying to get you caught up for years. <laughs> One thing I learned out of writing this book, yeah. when you've been hurt, a lot of time you will protect the people that hurt you. And I had no idea that it was two people in my life that I was constantly protecting. It was him and it was my mom. Yeah. I was like, no, don't write my mama that away. She was like, but that was your mom. No, I don't want people to see her that, but that was your mom. Yeah. And then like when, when we, when I finally come to realization that, you know, when you're 21 year old, 21 years old and you, you get a 13 year old girl pregnant, really you a pedophile. In yeah, world. right. That's and right. And when she was like, he's a pedophile. And I said, no, he's not. He's not a pedophile. And I, she said, stop protecting him. And yeah. I had to realize, <laughs> you know, Maybe maybe he is a pedophile. Yeah. Should no 21, 22-year-old married man be sleeping with no 13-year-old girl? No, no, it's definitely against the rules. And come to the hospital and sign a birth certificate and nobody says anything. Well, that's, that's a that's a lot of that's a systemic problem. There's a lot of there's a lot of people having a problem there. I can I I remember you talked to me about that when you were here last time. I I still couldn't understand it. How, yeah. What, I guess what are they going to do? They don't want to get involved, right? Is that it? 
they just sign it off. They, I don't. I don't understand. Today they would get involved. Right. Today they would get involved. And then I try to look at it with like, uh, well, is it because the eight and nobody get in the eighties and nobody gave a crap about young black girls? Yeah. Then I say sometimes, well, if I was white, would would they have stepped up? Yeah. It's it's a it's a dark story. Not, yeah. But you can laugh. You right. can laugh. You're going to be able to cry. You're going to get mad at me. You're going to get mad at them. But in the end, it all comes together. Yeah, you did all right. Yeah, you. I did okay. <laughs> and that's what we wanted. So that's, you know, when I read it, and I was like, wow, I didn't. I never looked at my life like this. This is what I was searching for. Yeah. And then we talked the other night, and you said that, that the first version was a little too dark. Too dark. And the editor was like, uh, uh-uh, get rid of it. And we was finished. So I'm like, oh, oh, wow. We finished the book. Thank you, Jesus. And she was like, no, put it in the trash and start over. I was like, uh, no, I'm going to need my check because I already spent that money. <laughs> you know, I'm poor. I got my six layaways waiting to come off out of, out of the department store. You say, no, I got to go cancel my layaways. And boy, I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. Did it, but you, you, didn't you keep some of it? Yeah, we did. Oh, yeah. We just we we switched some stuff around. It didn't, you know. It took another year, but she she did. I gotta say, uh, over at Harper Collins, Julia yeah. made the right decision, and I'm glad she did what she did. At first, I didn't understand it. I was ready to pull off my hair and go to New York and say, "We need to talk." I'm yeah. gonna need your credit card to get my layaways out. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought it was the right thing because you wanted the story to be balanced. Yes. You didn't want to drag, you know, you didn't want it to be too dark, too no. relentless. I didn't want you to put down the book. I want right. you to say, I want to see how this turns out. Right. I want to see somebody totally from the bottom. And, you know, the great part about it is I don't whine in this book. I don't fault anybody for what I went through. Yeah. I don't I don't pity. I, it's no pity party for me. Yeah. It's just straightforward. What happened, how I dealt with it, why I did what I did, and then we get to, you know, where I'm at today. And now <laughs> we also talked about the, you're developing a show over there. At Fox, yes. That's another hard can. Oh, Jesus Christ. That TV ain't no joke. No. You know, you know how no. they put out stories like this actor is crazy. And I'm like, hell, I see why they're crazy. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm just at the I'm at the I'm at the beginning. I haven't even shot the pilot yet. And it it is very hard. It yeah. is it, you know, it just I, I've, I've always taken care of myself, Mark, ever yeah. since, you know, from day one, as I can remember, even when, you know, after that first child, that's when my yeah. stuff really started to kick in for me. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't like no. Yeah. Because I feel like I can always turn my nose into a yes. Yeah. I can get out there and bust my butt. In my mind, Mark, I really think that I can sell more books out of my trunk than the internet can. Because I know how hard I'm going to work for Miss Pat. <laughs> and that's because I sold a lot of drugs. Mm -hmm. So if I can sell that out of my trunk, truly, you can load yeah, my yeah. book. You can give me a trunk full of books and well, I can go well, sell well, Hopefully it won't come to that. I hopefully it won't. I hope it don't. <laughs> but, you know, with, with TV, you just got you got all of these people involved and then they tell you what they want and you think you give it to them. And, oh, that's not what, what I want. And I'm like, well, I don't get it. This is what you asked for. So it's just so much back and forth that I'm so not. So many you. people involved, so, so much many. negotiating. Yes, it's and you want to try to hold on to your story and do it the way you see it. And there's all these other people that are afraid of that or whatever. They're yes. afraid of their job. Who the hell knows what? Yeah, I'm like, oh, you, do you want the Miss Pat story or you just want a story where you can just pop in some big black girl? Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm honestly, right. and you know, then you, you know, as a comic, you want it to happen. Hell yeah, I need it. I got four crack babies I got to raise. Yeah. You know, I don't know how this health care thing going. They might be losing their health care. I need money, but... 
Sometimes, you know, I always say if you if, if if you ain't willing to stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That's right. Well, you know, it's hard. It's hard when you you kind of you make your own way to to sort of realize what the difference between compromising too much. Yes. And just negotiating with people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a give and take to it. You know, it's a delicate process. And, you know, you told me you were working with Ali for now that, you know, there's ways to sort of like, well, that's a good idea. But, you know, uh, OK, we'll take that idea. But it, but hold on to other ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, you know, it becomes a sort of process of sort of like, well, let's give them that one as long as we can keep this one. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we'll keep this part of it, but we'll let them go. We'll, we'll, we'll say that they did that. That That's a good idea. And, and sometimes some, that works. Sometimes I feel like, you know, like with this process, I mean, I, I got a great team behind me. Lee Daniel, Imagine, yeah. 20th and Fox. But, you know, sometimes I get the feeling like we're losing the sense of who Miss Patty is. And that's what yeah. you guys bought. Right. You didn't buy no big mouth, loud, roll your neck tight, roll your eye tight black woman. Yeah. You, bought a, you bought a straightforward person with a past. Yeah. And sometimes I get a sense that are we losing? Am right. I, uh, am I going to let these people not tell the Miss Pat story? Yeah. Oh, we losing there? That's what that's what scare me sometimes. Then you know, as a comic who's never been in this predicament, I never had a deal like this before. Yeah. You don't want to lose the deal. Right, you don't want to lose the deal, but you don't want to, but you also don't want to be set up to fail. Yeah, I don't want to be set up to fail. Then I mean I I'm not in the streets anymore, so I just can't go around the round table slapping the shit out of people. Listen to what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you can try it. <laughs> yeah, they haul my ass up out of there in a straight jacket and I never get out of jail. <laughs> so and, this, and this uh in the whole process of it, like the show business, like you're you're at the you're at the next level where it's like real in the sense that, like, you got to go to these offices, you got to deal with these people. You're telling me that story the other night of they put you up at the Beverly Wills. Show. Oh my God! They 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 spend top dollar to make you feel like you somebody to tell you get the fuck on. This didn't work. <laughs> I put me up at the Beverly Wills show all the time, and it's a pretty woman hotel. Yeah. It is. I mean, you got them Russian women running through there with Nick with, with black women lips and booties, <laughs> and uh, I mean, I just feel so out of place. Really nice hotel, and I appreciate Very Fox nice, treat yeah. me like that yeah but i go in the first time i get there well i pull up in a car i yeah, rent yeah. a car i pull up you rented and, a car well yeah. they rented me yeah. a car and yeah. i pull up in malibu brand new malibu nice car yeah pull up and they open the door and put these two old white people in my trunk <laughs> my back seat uber are you uber i said hell no get out my car before i take you to compton <laughs> so they, they get that <laughs> I, I didn't fit I, in I, for two I, days I, over there yeah i gotta admit that's happened to me before too if really like, sure if i pull up because i drive a, a corolla if i pull up at the comedy store like two times people have gotten into the car I'm like I'm not I'm not Uber I'm not <laughs> they just think anybody drive isn't it weird how quickly people just get into a fucking car without even asking you know just sort of it's crazy and Uber has your picture in your name are you such a, yeah. I didn't say anything two days they put old people in my, my and I said look I'm st- I know I don't look like I'm staying here I don't have on no heel and my eyes ain't pulled back but I'm staying at this hotel yeah then I get into the lobby it was so funny as I'm coming out, uh, the guy who does Trump. Oh yeah, yeah. The oh, oh uh, Alec Baldwin. Alex, Alex Baldwin was yeah. leaving with his family. Yeah. So I go into the front desk and I tell them who I am and I check in and she said, "We're gonna need your card." So I give her my card. Now I mean I use a For debit card. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't have a credit card. Yeah. I use my card. Yeah. I don't like to pay people back. Yeah. So she, I said, "Hold on. How much you putting on my card?" She said, "Sixteen hundred dollars." I said, 
Give, give my guy them card back. <laughs> give my card back. Right, you know, I put. I said, "What you think? I'm gonna steal the mattress? Give me my card back. Nobody's putting. I ain't even got sixteen hundred dollars. Give me my money back." I called over. I called John Rallo. He's the executive who heard me on your podcast. I yeah. said, uh, I had to phone a white person. I said, "Get over here." These people just asked me for sixty. I'm about to faint. I'm about to faint. <laughs> That's probably just for the mini yeah. bar. What are they uh, thinking? That's they, a lot. That's crazy. I said, "Ma'am, do you think I'm gonna steal the mattress?" Yeah. But I walk in the room and they got Ciroc, Patron. It's like a it's like a party up in there. Eminem, Pringles. Yeah. M&M's was $10 a pack. Oh, I had to take it and take a picture and send it to people in the real world and say <laughs> this is why world. rich people need a tax break because they waste their money on stuff like this. <laughs> I understand Trump fight for taxes for the rich now. Yeah. I ordered a ginger ale 1.5 ounces. They come to the door with the ginger ale and ice. I said, how much is it? $22. No. I, I no. grabbed the ice and slammed the door in their face. I said, $22? for a 1.5 ounce ginger ale. I'll tell you, I've eaten the $10 M&M's before. I, I'll admit to that. You, know, you get me. home. You get, I get there late at night. Uh, not that hotel, but like hotels and I'll just... Sometimes you get done with doing a comedy show and you want to you want to reward yourself and you didn't make it to the Seven Eleven. Uh, that's I all I probably made, Mark. You made more money than me. And my budget ain't gonna allow me to pay no ten dollars for no Eminem when I can know I can walk down to the corner store and if I don't get snatched up, I can pay ninety nine cents for a pack of Eminem. You're, you're right. You're right. I, I just I mean I don't make enough money to do no, that. I, 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 look, I don't feel good about it. It's not. I mean I, I don't know that the money's a it's a principal thing. Yeah, it, it's still it still shouldn't be that much money. Well, I pay five. $500 for my hair. You probably would never pay $500 for your hair. That's true. We've, been, we've got our things. Yeah, we got our balance. So you eat the $10 M&M and I'm going to rock the $500 hair. But I could never eat put $10 worth of M&Ms in my... I'm sorry. I'm going to need a truckload of m and M&M for that. Yeah, did at least you, a bucket. Did you say hi to Alec Baldwin? Uh, I said, hey, I appreciate your Trump impersonation. Yeah. He just smiled. Yeah, he's doing... But you... We talked about... um. You know, Trump is scary. It's obviously horrendously scary, you know, for all of us, but for the black community, you know, obviously I don't live in that community, but it, it must be just terrifying. It's, it's, let me tell you something, Mark. <laughs> all jokes aside, being a black parent in this yeah. country is scary, yeah. especially when you're a black parent of young men. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I tell everybody, I said, I'd rather battle breast cancer than to think that my child could be next. Read about my child every day being shot by the police. And people are like, oh, well, don't exist. Well, you you can't, you cannot, you cannot stop nobody who's just downright evil. Yeah. Who came to kill. Like that, uh, the last dude who was shot with the baby in the backseat. Yeah. Did you ever watch that video? I cannot pull myself to watch those videos. I can't. Because I, you know. I look at life like this. The police is here to do a job. And right. a lot of them have families. All polices ain't bad. Right. All polices are not bad. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad apples Tough in job. every job. Yeah. It's bad. But when you just see somebody pull out their gun, when they ask you for your ID and shoot you that many times, I constantly, I had to, my dentist is a big Trump lover. And I tell him, I said, you know, just be glad that you white. I said, because you don't have to go to sleep worrying about is your child going to return home from work? I said, that's a fear that just you because never... he gets pulled over for a, uh, for a stop sign or something yeah, or I said, whatever. I said, you don't want that fear. You don't want that fear. What'd where, he say? You know, he, he never can say anything. And I told him, he, I was with his nurse one time and she started crying. I said, when you got the fear, when you go to bed at night, you rest easily knowing that, uh, that your little white baby going to be all right. I said, my son work at Chick-fil-A and get off at 10 o'clock and I'm scared to death. 
I do not go to sleep till I know both of my sons is in the house. And one of them don't even live with me. I said, you never have to sit down and have the police talk to your son. I'm so scared. I was at the dealership. They has this thing where you can keep your registration in. And I talked to my 17 year. I said, never reach. I said, always turn on the inside light. Always say yes, sir. Because if you got an asshole walk up to you, try to defuse it. Don't, you know, I said, let me fight while you alive. I don't want to fight while you dead. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't say I'm not giving you my ID. And, you know, we don't have to give them our idea if they don't have a reason to stop. I know. I said, but let me fight for you while you alive. Yeah. So I gave him this thing and I said, just hand it to the police. That's my license. That's my registration. Always be mannerable. Yeah. Always keep your hands on the wheel. Don't ever reach. And I tell my son that every day, Mark, and he's so tired of me. He is. So, he's like, Mama, I know. I said, but son, you don't get it. You live in this all white community. You don't really see what's going on in the world because you play a video game. Yeah. But I'm scared shitless. And this is your 17 year old. That's my. And I have a 30 year old that I talk to all the time, too. He lives not far from me. Son, if the police pull you over, put your hands on the wheel. Yes, sir. Be nice. You know, just don't do no confrontation. He asked you to step outside the car. I constantly say I will fight for you, but I don't want to fight for you while you did. Yeah. That's it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, you have a lot of people say, well, make them cooperate. Well, then sometimes you can cooperate and then it still don't matter. Yeah. They still be. You seen the two officers who ran up on the boys in Georgia and he got out of his concert. What's wrong? Officer? He just punched him in his damn face. They fired him. Yeah. He had no reason to hit somebody like that. And I tell people, they, you know, you always want to support the police. I support the police, too. But at least I mean, think about when they kill somebody. Yeah. I mean, think about if that was your child. I always, I don't say nothing about it. no other shoot. I, what most heartbreaking to me is a twelve year old that they killed in Cleveland. They killed a twelve year old kid for being in a park, Mark, with a toy gun. Yeah. I live in a white community in Plainfield, Indiana, and I see white babies all the time playing with a gun. Mm. And it's just, I mean, to pull up and shoot a twelve year old. A twelve. Think about if that was your child. Yeah, it's horrible. Somebody loved these people who you think is thugs and and bombs and and and, and criminals. Somebody yeah. loved. This is somebody family member. Yeah. Open your mind and think about that. Just be black for five minutes. And say, what if that was my child? Just, and don't say it can't happen because it can happen to you. Sure. Just be black for five minutes. For five. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't gonna want to keep it out of five minutes more. They gonna give it back. Oh, hell no! I want to be on this side. <laughs> I, I made it forty-five seconds. <laughs> yeah, forty-five seconds. I'm out of here. It ain't, I don't like it. But I think that's a good sentiment. I think that empathy is lacking, and that, you know something like that. That just to say that, just be black for five minutes. Yeah. Just to to sort of like to to engage the empathy. Just engage the ability to be in somebody else's shoes, shoes for a minute. Yeah. And really think about it. It's a, it's, it, a lot of people are very self-involved, and empathy is not always a natural thing for people. So you live in an all-white neighborhood. Do you, you have, do you talk to people who voted for Trump? Yeah, you- my neighbor, very conservative. But you know what, Mark? Like, my dentist is very conservative, and I have a police friend that's in the neighborhood, and I'm not lying. I think he would, I think he'll lick Trump half piece if he let him. Yeah. <laughs> he loved him some Trump. And I, but my, my, my husband's like, how do you talk to these people? I don't judge people. Uh, because of who they voted for. Yeah. You know, I feel like we can still be friends. We can have different. That's what's great about this country. Yeah. You know, you think one way, I think one way. You like yellow, I like black. But that don't mean I got to choke the shit out of you because we think different. Right. And I'm still their friend. Yeah. I mean, I I like to hear, you know, 
why they think a certain way. Yeah. Not that I'm trying to change them. Then I like for them to hear why I think a certain way. Now, I've had people that can't talk to people who vote for you. I can't talk to you. Uh, I'm like, why? They're human. Yeah. That's their right. Yeah. That's their right to have a to have their opinion. Have you had arguments? Uh yeah, not big arguments. I mean, I don't let it go there because, you know, got to remember, I'm talking my 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 conservative friends are police officers and doctors. So if I get really loud, they're like, oh, are you scared me? You scared. So, oh, I, you know, come on, come on. <laughs> but, you know, we don't have arguments. We just we, he, he stated his opinion and I state mine. Well, what was that? Uh, what was that conversation you had with that guy after the show? Oh, the guy after the show, I did a show um, and uh, he come up and he started talking. And uh, the whole thing was. I could feel I could feel his energy. So I said, what's wrong with you? And he was telling me how he grew up in uh, Lafayette, Indiana. And, you know, where he come from, you didn't mix race. Yeah. And then I said, well, do you feel still feel like that? He's like, I don't know. So I said, well, what's really going on with you? He said, well, my wife divorced me and married a black man. I said, you pissed off now, ain't you? <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, he got to talking about it. The guy said, do we have dreads? And he's like, yeah. I said, is he educated? He said, yeah. I said, you know what your wife went out and married? He was like, what? I said, a woke nigga. He's like, what? I said, that's a black man and know everything what white America have done to them. Uh-huh. I said, so he going to drop nothing but knowledge on you. He was like, I try to get him to argue. He just won't argue. I said, he will probably beat your brains out. I said, but he probably like killing you with knowledge, too. Yeah. And then I said, well, what's your problem? He said, Miss Pat, I, where I come from, you just don't mix race. I said, it's 2017. I said, my mama told me years ago that white people was better than me. Never look you in the eye and you're the devil. And that was a damn lie. I said, so you got to overcome that bull crap people put in your head as a kid. I said, there's nothing wrong with your wife being married to a black man. I said, your problem is you know how racist you was before she went out and put this black man into your family. Yeah. I said, everything you hated about us, now one is help raising your white baby. <laughs> and his wife, I said, do, the, do your kids like him? Yeah, they love him. They always bragging about his chicken. I said, well, dude, you can't compete with no black people chicken. You want to go out and make your kids a piece or something. You just ain't going to win on the chicken yeah, yeah, aisle. Right, yeah. We had a long conversation. You know, he he actually started crying, Mark. He actually started crying. He he teared up. And and I told him, I said, it's going to be all right. I said, it's all about change. Open your mind. Open your mind. Stop seeing a certain race of people certain way, a certain way, because that's how you was raised. Wow, it's an interesting situation, man. I like them conversations. Like yeah. my husband, other people won't have those conversations. But that's what's wrong with this country. We won't talk about touchy shit like race yeah come into my to... world because i want to come into your world i want to understand mark Marin, like yeah. i want mark Marin to understand miss pat yeah and you got through to that guy yeah i mean, I mean you know you you, you he called follow me on facebook and i said anytime you want to talk any question you want to have about your kid's step black daddy i'm here for you, <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> have you heard from him yeah he did he hit me up and said i really needed that Wow. He said, I really needed that because, you know, it, especially with white people, they don't want to be called racist. Yeah. So you got to be you got to be real careful who you talk to about race, because, you know, you can have somebody say you're racist. And I, I don't say that like my dentist. I told him, I said, I told him, I said, I said, you're not. I said, I said, you're ignorant. You don't want to open your eyes. I said, I don't want to call you racist, doctor, but you're ignorant. Yeah. 
You don't want to open your minds because he he had this whole thing about affirmative action. I was thinking about it today because now they're attacking firm, affirmative action. And why should why yeah. My, yeah why would my white kid have to fight? Why do why, my white have to kid have to get looked over for some black kid? I said because you, you white people had a four hundred year head start. Plus you're rich, so they're gonna let your child in any damn way. <laughs> Shut up. I tell him that all the time. I said your white baby is not gonna get denied yeah. because you're rich. You got to tell him to be black for five minutes. Yeah, I try to tell him to be black for. Five minutes, he's scared. <laughs> and then you know what I always say? I got a black friend. I don't want to. I said you ain't got no black friend like me. <laughs> you got them black friend who read and agree. Y'all read the same book, and both of y'all like your chicken unseasoned. <laughs> you ain't got no black friend who gonna put seasoned salt on her chicken, <laughs> and who gonna you gonna come over to the house, and we ain't go. We gonna treat you like everybody else. You gonna get your stale white ass up and dance <laughs> to too short like the rest of us. You don't have no black friend like me. <laughs> He must love when you come for your teeth cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was in his office when Obama, he hated Obama. And he would just get so red. Oh, Obama is a communist. Obama is this. I said, look, look, doctor. I said, let me say this. I said, you worried about Obama so much, but you say you believe in God. I said, if you believe in God, then your God is going to take care of you. I said, if you keep on talking about Obama, you're going to have a heart attack. I said, when you have a heart attack, I'm not going to pay my copay. I'm going to step over your ass and go out the door. No. <laughs> That's what I told Well, I, I, I want to, I, I hope you're right. I hope everything's going to be okay, and I'm glad that things are working out for you. Things are working out, Mike. I'm, I'm Mark. I mean, I'm happy. You know, Good. I'm blessed. Sometimes I wake up and can't believe that I'm, I'm, I'm here in my career. You know, as a comic, yeah. you've been around, you told me the other night, 30-something years. <laughs> yeah. You know, the ups and downs when you're uh, like, man, I need to quit this. Yeah, so I, this I ain't going to work out. Uh, oh, yeah. I should have took that prostitution job in 82. <laughs> 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 Maybe I could be a madam now. I'm just kidding, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, it's really hard working, and I, I, truly, I truly believe that it's finally paying off. Yeah, and I, and I hope the book's a big success. And I'll tell you what I did. You got to do the audio. I did the audio. It was long. And it's hard. I, man. Oh, my God. It was. I was like, my voice went out. And it was so crazy because uh, I think I told you this the other day. I st- in certain, especially chapter five, that was yeah. really touching for me. Yeah. For me to tell that story that I never told anybody. And I called my sister and I said, just tell me that this happened. And she said, it did. And my husband was even shocked. He was which, like, which story is that? We don't want to spoil it, but what's it about? Uh, it's about, it's about, it's a violation story. Mm. And so my husband's like, she never told me that story. And that was something that when I decided to write this book and I talked to her about it and I was like, what do you think? And she was like, you should tell it. And I was like, I'm scared. I'm going to be embarrassed. And, and then I started to realize it's so many other people out there that been through what I've been through. Why not tell the story? And it was a healing point for me, Mark, because that was pain that I kept hidden. That was pain. I kept a smile on my face, but I never talked about that. Really? Never. Until we wrote this book. And I've been married over 20 some years and he never heard that story. Wow. Only me and my sister knew about that. Yeah. So when I, when I, when I went to go read it, it was when I went to go read it, I was like, oh Lord, chapter five. And I cried so much. And the the guy who was listening in New York was crying. And the guy who was in the studio crying. We was all crying. Oh, my God. I'm starting to cry. I don't even know what it is. And it was, I mean, but it was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, when I'm reading the book, you can hear the pain. Yeah. Then after I come out of that chapter 
And then, you know, I started to, you know, perk back up. Yeah. But that's some, that was some real pain for me. And it was did, a healing point. By sharing it, did it did it free you a little? It freed me. It, you know how when you got secrets yeah. and it's always there? Yeah. And you you don't tell anybody? Yeah. It's like a knot. Yeah. And I was, a, I was able to bust that knot. Yeah. And I was like, finally, I'm free. And yeah. so now my husband, no. My husband, you know, like I said, I and never told him. You? He still loves me. Yes, he do. <laughs> See? Yes, he do. But, it, you know, even my kids, even my kids is like, you never told that story. Too painful. No, it was too painful and shameful. Mm. It was very, it was both. So, mm. but I mean, I'm I'm good now. I mean, I'm, you know what, Mark? I'm looking for a way to make a joke out of it. Well, I mean, the, but the fact that one thing I know from doing this is that when you share those parts of yourself, it does help a lot of people. Yes. Because there's a lot of people walking around with shame, walking around with uh, with secrets that they, they, that they shouldn't be ashamed of because a lot of times it, it, it they, wasn't their fault at all. And, you know, when somebody else does it, they feel less alone. They feel more maybe able to 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 put it out in the world and free themselves. So it's a great service that, that you do with that. And I mean, I realize this. I'm not I thought it just happened to black girl. Yeah. But no, no, I thought teenage pregnancy only happened in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. When I became a comic and started talking about me and my daughter's 14 years apart, women of all walks of life will come up to me. I had my baby young. I was like, what mm. did she happen to everybody? Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it was a, comedy was an eye opening for me, and that's why I started. I just I wanted to share so much to let people know it's not about how you start; it's about how you finish. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. You know, yeah. it was a rough start. It was, you, it was I, I was born on a broken foundation. Yeah, you know, and but but you rebuilt. I rebuilt that foundation, and that's what it's all about. Well, that's a beautiful way to end. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> All right, again, that was uh, Miss Pat and her book, uh, Rabbit, the Autobiography of Miss Pat, is available now for pre-order and is in stores tomorrow, August 22nd. What can I say about Brent Weinbach? Well, I can tell you this. Uh, for most of the interactions I had with him for years, uh, he just made me uncomfortable, a little nervous. I, I found myself a little off-center around him. He kind of occupies a, a unique time zone that is his. And I always thought uh, that there was some... Uh, some other element to him that, that I took personally, that I manufactured, uh, according to him, that there was a certain amount of uh, fuck you to him making me uncomfortable or making audiences a little uncomfortable. And it was something I wanted to talk to him about. And we eventually got to it. Uh, it turns out he's just a very sort of unique, uh, uh, intel- he's got a unique take on things and unique intelligence. And, you know, he's a very funny guy in a very specific way that is his own. Uh, his stand-up special, Brent Weinbach, Appealing to the Mainstream, is now available on Amazon Prime and on CISO for as long as CISO is still around. You can follow him on Twitter to find out other stuff he's doing. But, uh, but I'll, I, you know, it was a good conversation. Not unlike many conversations uh, that I have going in, I don't always know what it's going to be, but sometimes I have prejudgments about the person many times. I don't necessarily say what they are. But in this case, I tell him what was on my mind, and, uh, and, and uh, he alleviated my concerns about the part of his personality that I thought was uh, mocking me. So this is me talking to Brent Weinbach, the comedian. Yeah. 
you know, it's interesting, Brent, that it's you. So now I'm having, you know, this this mild little bit of a frenetic emotional moment here. And and it, out of all the people to, to have show up for that, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, you'd be the guy that was going to get it. Oh, really? Why? Well, I, I, I don't know. You and I don't talk much. And like, you know, my own projection of what I think you might be, which are probably wrong, is sort of like... Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, uh, that guy's emotional spectrum necessarily, you yeah. know. I actually, I'm very interested in your emotional spectrum. Actually. You are? Well, I've asked you about it in the past, you know. Yeah, what have you, how have you framed it? Remind I've asked me. you if you, because you, I, I've, I don't know why I asked you this at one point, but I asked you if you ever cry. And do you remember that, the conversation we had about crying? I do cry, yeah. And I was curious. What did I say? You said you cried when Greg Giraldo died. And yeah, yeah. I, and I, I don't know, I had questions about why you, you crying, because I'm, I don't know. It's interesting to me. The thought of you crying is interesting to me. Really? Well, yeah, because you seem like kind of a, a hard kind of guy, and or kind of almost tough in a way. That's interesting. And, that you know, this is interesting because, because like, it, it, it. And I think this will be revealed about both of us is that, you know, the people that really know me, you know, uh, you know, see through that shit pretty easily. And I think I'm I'm fairly. So it's a front. Kind of. No, it's not a front. No. It's just natural defenses, right? It's uh-huh. it, I don't. I wouldn't call it a front, but like you know, you're a comic. You've been for one a long time. Uh, you know, we're sort of a ragtag group of uh, you know swaggering, you know, uh, insecure, sensitive people. So how those insecurities manifest in any one of us is is what it is, right? So yeah, I'm a little. I can be a little intense and a little intimidating and and crabby and maybe a little hostile, but, uh, but yeah, you're soft on the inside. I'm a very sensitive person. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I cry more than is probably necessary. How often do you cry? Would you say? Would you cry once a week? You think? Um, a little. I mean, what? At what? Like what degree of crying? I, like like <laughs> like, like yeah. un, un, uncontrolled? Yes. No, I don't do that too often anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I wait. Do you, did you used to do that often, where it's uncontrollable and you're making noise like that? Yeah. I don't think I've done that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't even remember if I ever have. Have you? I don't. I mean, I did when I was a kid, but right. I, I no, I don't cry often at all, and I don't. I don't think I'm probably not that emotional, mm-hmm. or at least I kind of keep my emotions in check in some kind of weird. Well, okay, way. so that so like that's what I assume about mm-hmm. you, but but it, you got a little waffly at the I'm end. Obvi- there. Obviously, I mean, I'm conscious of that. You know, it's not like I'm devoid of emotion, but you know, or incapable. But that's sort of your of it, But that's but. your front then. Yeah, or something. Yeah, maybe I think that emotions are corny or something, you know? Right, so you, you stifle them intentionally. Pro- maybe, yeah, maybe so, yeah. But, like, I, I guess, like, you know, like, I, I, I got choked up. I got choked up yesterday, you know, I was watching a Vietnam documentary. Okay, and, just watching a movie or something. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, when people talk to me in here, a lot of times I get choked up. Do you really? All the time. Uh, okay, so you've cried almost or got choked up on the podcast. Many times. What was an example? Well, it's just when people are telling me stories about their life, even if they're not, you know, tragic or even that necessarily, um, you know, j- just people, people's Something personal struggle. Yeah. Well, yeah, just moments. Like if somebody I'm talking to gets emotional, I'll get emotional immediately. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times when I've had to stifle it. But, you know, tears have run down my face. Really? Wow. Yeah, with Jenny Slate, with uh, oh, wow. Michaela Watkins. People like if people are talking about their family or about, about a story about their life, you know, I, I'm very emotionally invested in it. And like I get, you know, I, I can feel it. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know why you would think. I, I don't think I'm tough. I, I think I, I'm, you know, I can be intimidating and, and a little bit 
dickish. Well, you know, I, here's an interesting thing is that uh, you, I don't know, some people have this thought of you of being uh, abrasive or something. I'm abrasive, I've, I've sure. actually always known you to be a nice guy, actually. Yeah. To, to me, at least. Uh, yeah. You've always been nice to me, at least. Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. But maybe maybe that's a front, you know? <laughs> maybe, I don't think no, I'm, I'm fronting uh, at all. No, I mean, no, I think no. I'm, I'm reacting. Mm. I, fronting is a weird word, which would mean, which would imply that there's some intention to it. Yeah. And in fact, you know, there was um, the, my first encounter with you, which yeah. was a one-sided encounter. It was just me going to see you perform. Right. Um, I uh, It was in the early 2000s, you know, around the time I was starting comedy. Yeah. And um, I usually would leave open mics. Um, are we recording, by the way? Yeah. Oh. Um, I would usually, in those days, I would stick around for the whole open mic just to be, you know, to, part of the community. Part, yeah, yeah, just to kind of be supportive. <laughs> to act and, like you were and, a person capable of hanging out. No, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I like, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I liked hanging out. Yeah. And, you know, um, there was a camaraderie between the open mic comedians and stuff. But anyway, I, I would leave early if I wanted to see a show at the Punchline. Uh, I started in the Bay Area. Yeah. You, I don't know, may or may not know. No, but, I knew that. Um, and um, if there was uh, a headliner I wanted to see, uh, and I would leave early, and I'd feel kind of bad. And anyway, when I told the guy who ran the open mic, his name was Tony Sparks. Um, I remember telling him, "Oh, sorry, I have to leave early, and you know how I'd like to stay, but I want to catch a show at the Punchline." He said, "Oh, who's performing?" He said, "I said, oh, Mark Marin," and um, I hadn't seen you before. Yeah, and but I wanted to, and he said, "Oh, yeah, he's really funny and also really nice guy." So my first impression of you, your personality was like, oh, this is going to be a nice guy kind of thing. Yeah. And that stayed that way, if, you know, it, actually as long as I've known you, actually. Then I, then we had a, a regular-sided conversation right. in, uh, I think, around 2005, mm -hmm. and it was backstage at the Steve Allen Theater. Mm -hmm. We were going to do Ron Lynch's right. show. And, well, actually, at the time, Craig Anton and Brendan Small's show sure. as well. And you were back there, and this is before you started the podcast and stuff, and I don't know, it was just the two of us back there, and you were just, uh, you know, you asked me how I was doing, and I just thought, yeah, this guy's a nice guy. You know? I, mean, I don't know, I just, I, you know, you just, so, I, uh, you know, and then later I started hearing, oh, yeah, he's kind of, like, mean or something, and yeah. I was like, I don't know, I always thought you were a nice guy. So I, there, I would, I, there would be no reason for me to be mean to you. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, you just, on instinct, you, you know, my instinct about you was like, well, this guy's, uh, you know, operating in a, a slightly different time zone than the rest of us. And, you know, like I've known- Like the future, you mean? Like, sure. But, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, no, just in the sense that, you know, you, you, you're you a guy that I, my interpretation initially, and, and then after seeing you do the work you do, like, I think I went through some- some like there was probably some struggle with with how I interpreted you. Mm -hmm. Like you know, there are guys that do the kind of things that you do, who you know who are who are actually doing it to overcompensate somehow. Mm. You know, to like you know, like look how weird I am. Like mm -hmm. because you, you know they don't necessarily have the confidence or or the skill set to to you know do the step you know before that, which is try to construct something like if i'm just really weird you know then you know i will transcend uh criticism yeah yeah Do you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah so and they're like i know those guys they're they're kind of they're 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 emotional uh con men in a way mm. um i don't know if that's quite right but they're 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 avoiding something right yeah. by doing weird shit but you know once i got the hang of you and after i first saw you you know upon meeting you i knew that you were like sort of an awkward bright guy you know and, but 
But after seeing you, I like you know I respected you because I'm like, well, this is the way this guy thinks. He's not trying to <laughs> to do anything but who he is. I mean, so- that's true. I mean, you know, uh, but the truth <laughs> is, is, I I if I was to ever. I never really did comedy in a sort of more conversational way or like in a right. more... Right. No, I remember seeing you only, early on. Only because I was never... I, that didn't feel natural to me, you know, to be, you know, kind of just uh, casual on stage, you know? Yeah. So I always... Do you do that in life? Well, I mean, I'm obviously more casual talking to you or, you know... Yeah. But I think that probably deadpan is sometimes a people a way people might describe me even just on a personal level sometimes you know yeah but, um, but not your performance really no but i always thought of stand-up as a performance though and and i always kind of i felt it felt more natural for me to treat it more like a presentation and be more deliberate about the way i performed yeah rather than being kind of conversational casual because that just didn't seem natural to me and it didn't feel that didn't feel Natural, yeah, just didn't feel comfortable. Right, so yeah. right, so you weren't, you know, really necessarily interested in exploring the nuances of your personal struggles, or or your parents, or you know. Yeah, well, no, but I think actually, I think I do ex- right. express my personal experiences, but it's in a more abstract way, you know, right. and, and through the whatever the bits I might do, you know. Okay, well, like for like, okay, so you grew up in the Bay Area? No, I grew up in Los Angeles. You and, did? Uh, yeah, and then where? I'd, in Hollywood, in Laurel Canyon. Really? Yeah. What, and like, are your parents in show business? My dad was kind. Yeah, my dad was. Yeah, he was uh, a writer and producer for um, for movies, like smaller budget movies. In fact, I noticed that you had uh, you have a picture of Todd Browning's uh, Freaks. Freaks. Yeah. And my dad apparently made the first movie since Freaks yeah. to use real side like sideshow. What freaks movie was that? A, it was called the the Freak Maker, uh, also known as the Mutations. Uh huh. And I think it came out in seventy three. I think was he still around? Yeah. Now, uh, you grew up in the house with him. Yes. How many siblings you got? Four, I've there's four of us total. I have three. And you the how you the I'm oldest? the oldest. Yeah. You are. I'm the big brother. Yeah. And your folks still married? No. Okay. Yeah. Your mom's still around? Yes. Okay. They're both still around. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. she lives here too. Yes. They both live here. Yeah, they live. Yeah, live in Hollywood. So yeah. you they, yeah. they live in separate houses now, but yeah. Okay, right now was your dad? So he was kind of like a. Are you telling me he was a B movie writer producer? I, I one might categorize it as that. Yeah, I mean he made another movie, but he actually got some pretty good names in the movies. I mean, in that Freakmaker movie, Donald Pleasance is in it. It's directed by Jack Cardiff. Yeah. Um, Tom Baker of Doctor Who is in it. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he made another movie called Blind Man's Bluff, uh-huh. otherwise known as The Cauldron of Blood. Um, which actually starred Boris Karloff, and um, so there's some some people. He also apparently made he the directed first, him, or he, he pro- didn't direct any of them, but he, he pro- produced them and wrote wrote them. them. And he supposedly made the first movie about LSD. I mean, he claims is the first movie about LSD called Hallucination Generation. What? So were you part of this? That? Is all pre like uh, my time around? You know. So like, so you weren't old enough to you know to have. He was probably part of that whole Laurel Canyon community. Like, uh, like, was it? They felt he was him... in New York for a while. I mean, he was kind of all over the place. Yeah, but, but like, were there, were you guys, you know, hanging out at the Zappa house or anything like that, or like, no, and, no, no, no. He no. was just. No. Uh, I would have liked to. Have. I right. wouldn't have appreciated it until I was older. But yeah. So, but so you grew up with your father. That by the time you were conscious, you he had this history. He was, what was he doing by the well, time he was you still were... trying to make movies uh, in the eighties, and he, um, he did actually have some of the freaks from 
the freak maker come over sometimes you know which ones uh, uh, this guy named popeye yeah. not that not those ones but um no, the ones from his probably movie passed. Yeah, yeah um this guy popeye who uh he goes by popeye yeah he pops his eyes out of his yeah, sockets. yeah. oh he's got that marty feldman disease uh, yeah i guess that, oh yeah yeah, did, yeah yeah i guess you know but i i feel like marty feldman had the, had a different thing going on but he that. could bug his eyes out they would pop they out would actually it. pop out of the sockets so they were glass eyes or, or no they, they were would, real eyes they would they dangle just, they wouldn't dangle even because the sockets would still kind of hold them, but he would be able to pop them out of the sockets. How old are you when you meet Popeye? <laughs> Probably <laughs> six or seven. Uh, I don't know, something uh, like that. Eight. That must have been yeah. both frightening and exciting at the same time. It didn't bother me. I wasn't scared. No. no? Um, th- then there was this woman named the Alligator Woman who would come sure, by. With the skin, I imagine. Yeah. Skin s- problem. She had some sort of skin thing. Um, leathery. Yeah, leathery skin, yeah. Yeah, she would yeah. hang out too? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And your dad liked them? They just, they were fun to be around? Yeah, or? my dad had a lot of weird, interesting friends, yeah. So is it, was that how, like you, like I'm trying to like get a sense of I'm trying to project you know a, a whole world onto you. Uh-huh. Does your dad have a lot of memorabilia uh, around? Yeah, some some stuff. Yeah, yeah not, but not like clutter. I mean, no, he has clutter definitely. Yeah. He has a lot of. I mean, but his, his the stuff he has around is more just I don't know weird little antiques and things. Or oh, not okay. antiques, but just little gadgets and things. Just. You know, like a fake bird or something. Or, uh-huh. You know, I don't know. Stuff is like he that. still working? Yeah, a little bit. What happened in the eighties is he mainly he decided to he bought some land in the seventies and started yeah. building houses. And oh, so he got into real estate. Kind, yeah. I mean, I guess you could call it that. And he rented them out, and that's kind of what he does. I mean, he did make a movie. So he got some rental properties. A lot of people do that in L.A. It seems to be a smart thing to do. Well, the land was really cheap in right. the seventies, and he bought in really underdeveloped, er- like non-developed areas. The, yeah. the house that I grew up in, mainly. Well, we moved in when I was when I was five. Yeah. He started building it in the seventies and um, got this land for really cheap. There was no houses up there at the time. Yeah. And it was just a dirt road, and yeah. Wow. I don't know. He had a yeah. And then he lived sort in of adventurous, future. huh? Yeah, he he was like a door to door salesman for a while. He's done a lot of weird things. He you, a, you should have him on the podcast. <laughs> you get along with him? Um, yeah, we get along okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm closer with my siblings. Yeah, yeah. Are they all here too? Uh, not anymore. They uh, they moved away. They kind of followed me to the Bay Area, and then when I did left you go the up there? So you went. I to went high for college. You, oh yeah, what college did you go to? UC Berkeley. Now, what was the uh, what were, what were your focuses? When did you decide that uh, stand up comedy or that show business was a thing? Were you always a performer? Uh, I started playing piano when I was fifteen. I played jazz piano for a while. Seriously, I got. Wait, are you ask? Are you saying seriously, or like asking if I did it seriously? If you did it seriously, <laughs> I thought you were saying maybe, perhaps saying seriously, you were doing that. <laughs> no, um, I uh, I played. Um, yeah, I was playing seriously. Well, I. I Definitely got serious about it in my later teens and kind of somewhat early 20s because I was was playing professionally for a while, actually. In jazz bands? Um, Mainly solo and background as background music at hotels and stuff. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it wasn't the most glamorous job, but it was... I did it for a full-time living for a while, but, actually, for a few years. It seems like 15 is almost like late to be getting to piano. It is, it is. I, that that was actually why I got so into it, I think, is um, when I was... Actually, it was when, really when I was 14, I yeah. started... Um, getting into jazz and um, particularly Brazilian jazz, bossa nova stuff. And I started learning pieces on the piano. My mom used to be a a classical pianist. And so she kind of helped me through some sheet music when I was 14. And I was really into that. And then my parents said- You learned how to read music, you mean? And and then like- She was, my mom kind of taught me how to read music a bit. And um, she was kind of helping me through the sheet music to some- Where's she from? Show beam stuff. 
She is. She grew up in Torrance, but her family's from the Philippines. She's they, they. She was the only one born in the United States. She's Filipino. Yeah, and um, so that part of your act is true. Actually, pretty much everything I say is true on stage. Oh, good. But it's it might be some abstraction of truth, though, right. in some way, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, they, when I was fifteen, they offered to pay for lessons for me, jazz lessons, and I said, "All right, I'll see." They said, "You know, you can see if you like it, and if you don't like it, you know." Yeah, move on and I ended up really liking it and I got into it so you know I, I, they never forced me into playing piano when I was right. like a younger kid Yeah, and since I kind of got into it in a more organic way I really got into it and I got really into jazz because of that so when you were in high school were you uh, at 15 you're picking up on this shit which I imagine was sort of off the beaten path of most other kids yeah but you know there was a lot of the kind of stoners were into jazz also and uh, I played with them. We played music together and stuff. And you weren't a stoner. No, I didn't. I never did any kind of drug ever in my life. Yeah. And um, but I had a lot of friends di- that did in sure. high school and stuff. And um, yeah, those kids were into music. The, a lot of the kids who were into, you know, punk and rock and stuff were right. liked jazz too. And would the closest thing you could get to sort of being in a rock band or something in high school was jazz band. Yeah. So. A lot of rocker kind of kids were in jazz band because it was kind of the most the closest thing, and and, you and were I jazz was in jazz band? band too, and so I kind of associated with them because of that. But so that's yeah. interesting. So you learned how to play with people, and you know, did you guys were you guys? Um, well, like I had a, a little band in high school, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the jazz, jazz band, band in of, of itself, like I I got. I got, I signed up for jazz band and I I was told I could be in it if I learned how to read music. I, I was I was brought in as the bass player. Oh, really? You played jazz band in high school? And I didn't last because I never learned how to read music and I didn't know what was going on yeah. and I thought I could just I literally thought that well the bass isn't that important, they won't notice if I don't know what I'm doing. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. That's very important, yeah. It's so important. Bass is the one of the most important parts. You know? Yeah, I, it was like, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. This other kid was there and he didn't know how to read music and he was a bass player and he was high all the time. I think I, don't, I, think I lasted a matter of weeks. The guy was very mad at me. All you need to know is your scales. If you learn your scales, you could have survived. I think. Yeah, well, I know now, but like yeah. you know, I, I regret that I didn't sort of lock in then and, and apply myself to it. I think I've just, I don't know, I thought I could get away with it. It was very <laughs> I mean, embarrassing. It is pretty low register, too, sometimes, and sometimes you can get away with it. But Not really, because the, the rhythm section's kind of the... Oh, you know what you do? You do what you were talking about earlier. You just kind of be really confident about it, and it's devoid of criticism, you know? Just act as if I'm you're doing like, my own thing yeah, over here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, in, I'm improvising. Yeah, exactly. I'm an innovator. Yeah, yeah. You're taking it to the next level. Sure. You know? <laughs> you yeah. Some people get away with that. Yeah. You better be. You better have a full genius act. Yeah. To pull that shit off. Well, yeah. So you're playing Confident. in bands. What was a What was your band? It was a jazz band. Also, you know, we just played jazz stuff. You know. And um, how good were you at going? Like, did you get out there? I mean, could you like? Were you a monk guy? Were you? Uh, I liked Ahmad um, Jamal. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I liked Oscar Peterson, although I can never play as well as Oscar Peterson. Bill but Evans? Bill Evans is definitely like, I think if you've heard me play, people would think I was influenced by him. I was mainly, I, I used the, like, the similar voicings to the way that he would play. But Voicings? What does that mean? Just when like you chord arrangements and oh, stuff, yeah? you know, just the, the way that the, usually playing kind of compacted uh, ways of playing chords, you know, so that there's kind of a little more dissonance maybe or something uh-huh. just like playing notes really close to each other as supposed, supposed do you to still play 
I play for fun every now and then, you know. I, I, so, I like but it sounds like, this is an interesting thing to me because, like, I've talked to other people that were like Eric Andre and um, yeah, he he studied bass, yeah, yeah, and you know, Brendan Small has figured out a way to fully integrate his virtuosity right. yeah. into his comedy as well. But so you're in a jazz band of your own, and you're playing jazz band at the school. So you were pretty serious about it, right? I was pretty serious about music, yeah, at one point. But I always actually wanted to do comedy. You who, know? who, why, why, why would you want? I to was do just, that? I loved comedy. I always watched it. Uh, you know, I, I, any chance I could watch stand-up comedy on TV, I would watch it all the time in uh-huh. the '80s and the '90s. Yeah, I mean, like, I just, who did you like? Who did you gravitate to? In the, I mean. In the eighties, stand up wise, I liked Charles Fleischer and Harry Basil and um, Mark Curry. Mm. And um I liked This and, one and, you were in high school. I no, I was even before that, I mean I would say elementary school and and junior high. Fleischer makes sense. Yeah, well Fleischer's special there was a special he did and I just it was really multimedia almost kinda of, he was playing instruments and stuff and doing a lot of voices and stuff. And yes. I always really liked visceral comedians, you know, and Harry Basil did that as well. You well, know? he did more of a, uh, more mainstream sort of prop driven character. Like he did. The, I always uh, loved props. You yeah. Know? Um, you do a little prop work. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, like, yeah, Harry would do the, uh, the risky business dance. Yeah, he did a lot of movie references <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And um, Fleischer uh, was something to watch. So. He was just really just, I just love fun, silly stuff you have know? you have, have you been uh uh fortunate enough to meet charlie yeah i did a show with him yeah um, maybe once or twice um you know yeah that's cool it's cool to meet it, these people that i admired when i was younger but stuff. it feels to me that you guys might have uh like a, a good vibe between you did you talk to him we didn't really get a chance to talk too much mm. you know mm-hmm. but you know i mean whatever yeah he's a he, interesting guy kind of he, like, he's, he's kind of quirky huh that's a nice word, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he invented, he invents things sometimes. And, you know, he was, uh, he, he definitely has a, like, he's really that guy, not unlike you. You know, you don't, you don't think he's, like, you know, he'll repeat himself as people with acts do and as we all do. But, but, you know, he's really an, 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 uh, 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 an odd good dude. Do you know him pretty well? Was he on the show before? He did a live one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen him at the comedy store and I've yeah. talked to him. And, you know, when I was a doorman at the comedy store, I, you know, he was already oh, yeah. over the arc of, you know, like it was already the, you know, the mid 80s, late 80s. Roger Rabin hadn't come out yet, though, probably. I think it had. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, he would do his thing, but it was always really good. Mm-hmm. You know, you would only know that it was repetitive if you've seen him over and over again. Mm-hmm. But he would do a type of crowd work that was always pretty funny. It was sort of, he had a built in kind of method of doing crowd work uh-huh. yeah, in, sure. in a certain way. And then he'd do it. So would you say he was like, he's pretty controlled and calculated about what he, he did? I, I Well, he gave, you know, he, he had a context. Yeah. I yeah. think within it, you know, he could play. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I liked uh, Rowan Atkinson a lot. He was a pro- like one of, my biggest, oh, yeah. one of my biggest influences. I mean, not, not really probably known as a stand-up comedian, but just his performance bits that he would do yeah he's very uh, funny he did a lot of he had an hbo special that i think is one of the funniest things yeah he's very like you know very physical physical uh, yeah. but, but subtle physical in a way yeah i mean just yeah f- funny faces i mean it go really my the first thing that i really loved was the marx brothers and harper marx yeah how'd and, you did your dad turn you on yeah that? my dad did yeah and you know i saw all the marx brothers movies when i was younger those, those are the kind of the 
the the that was like my first th- you know comedy thing that I really loved the most you know yeah Marx Brothers and Harper was always my favorite until I got into my thirties and I started realizing that I think Chico is my favorite actually Chico is the yeah. guy because he's kind of underrated between the th- the ma- the main three you know <laughs> don't you think it's either Groucho or Harpo that people like right uh-huh. but Chico no one really says that's their favorite but I realize he's actually the funniest one in a way because he's he's kind of a straight man to Harpo a lot. And he's, he's abrasive, and he's got that weird the, Italian accent. The, the fake Italian accent is the so funny to me. <laughs> I mean, I took it for granted when I was a kid, but looking at it now, I'm thinking, that's just so ridiculous. Yeah. That he's a straight man, yet he has this ridiculous Italian accent yeah. For, no, yeah. for no reason other than that, it just sounds funny. And then there's That's those, so funny. And he plays piano, too. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And then there's those rare people that, that, that miss Zeppo, you know, the... <laughs> there, there, there was. Is there a Zeppo Marx that was maybe yeah, one Zeppo. or two movies? Monkey. Bi- well, my fa- he's in my favorite one, which is Monkey Business. Yeah, so that's that's the ultimate. Yeah. Zeppo. Yeah, but Zeppo's like definitely the straight, straight man, man yeah. to the to the rest of them. But, to the chaos. Yeah, but um, yeah, Chico's really the the gem, uh, the hidden gem of the Marx Brothers. That's I think, funny. Kind of, kind of. I think. I don't know. You know? I talked to like it's funny when people go off the you know off. You know the expectation about favorite. You know, like I guess specifically with you and Chico, but like I had Billy Weston here, who's a a Larry Fine fanatic. Oh well, yeah, I could see that. Let's <laughs> see, because I mean, either people like Curly because he's like kind of the stupidest yeah, one, yeah. I guess, or and then Mo because Mo he's is mean. the meanest one, and Larry is this in between. You know, Larry is the Chico of the Stooges, I think. Right? Yeah, you should you should yeah. talk to Billy. Yeah, I actually get that though too. Actually, <laughs> by the way. You know, come to think of it, and I didn't really start appreciating the Three Stooges until I was like older for some reason. When I was a kid, I for some reason thought it was too big for me. It was too, it was like too broad, too too, something, you know, childish in a way. I don't know, or something, you know. But I didn't really like it when I was a kid. But when I as I got older, I, I started revisiting Three Stooges, and I was like. This show is really funny, and Larry is actually really funny because he's so. First of all, he just looks ridiculous with his <laughs> with his, his hair, hair yeah, <laughs> his yeah. bald, and he was always slightly befuddled and kind of like yeah. the last guy to get something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He's definitely underrated. Yeah, Larry's <laughs> underrated. I like Larry. Yeah, yeah, no, now that you mention it, yeah, definitely, yeah. I totally well, get that. Larry, I know Larry and Chico, Chico Larry and yeah. Chico. They should do the, that's the, it. that. That should be the name movie. of your next show, Larry and Chico. Yeah, yeah. just a a, a a sort of a deconstruction and and uh, a Weinbachian uh, analysis of oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Chico and uh, and Larry. In a way, they're, they're in a way, kind of in a way the most nuanced in a way or something. I think that's yeah. true. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, like it, it could get by you. You see them as yeah. just a you know part of a, they're they're the middle of the process to yeah. get to the thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. it's like, because, you know, with okay, with the Marx Brothers, yeah. Groucho, and not to dwell on this for too much, too long, but yeah. Groucho is very, um, he's very cerebral and witty. Yeah. Mark Harpo is playing to the visceral and, you know, guttural kind yeah. of thing. And then right. Chico is this in-between thing, you know, yeah, which is yeah. so cool, actually. He's the best of both worlds, actually, <laughs> when you think of it, you know? Because he's both, you know, I think. Yeah. So that's cool. That's a, that's a good revelation. Actually. I'm glad we had that. We had a, we had a breakthrough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, so you're playing the no, music. so yeah, what no, but, I, but anyway, no, I always liked. I mean, but I was was I was like writing material in high school. I always wanted to do. In like, what form did that? Come? I mean, I was I was trying to write a stand up act because I always watched. I mean, I watched Russell Simmons' Def Comedy Jam a lot. I was uh, any stand-up show on TV, you know, A and E, Evening the Improv, whatever. I was yeah. always watching it, and so I, I always wanted to do it. And yeah. just didn't know how to 
approach it in my own way. I always thought I kind of needed to do it like Seinfeld or something, you know. Uh huh. Um, but yeah. But at one point, I realized I didn't didn't need to do what, that. What? How, what? Even can, though there was people like Andy Kaufman and Stephen Wright, who, yeah. you know, I, I thought I, I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me that I could do it more like they did it. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, and they ended up being influences too. Yeah. But for some reason, Seinfeld. I always thought I, I thought I needed to be Seinfeld for some reason. Yeah. But it just that wasn't right. You know, that never was really that wasn't me. You know. So I was like, I think I think I just had it in my mind that I was that I could be Seinfeld or could be like Seinfeld. But um, I'd like to see you. It just do, took a, a moment to realize that. I'd like to see you do like you, you know one Seinfeld bit. Well, I my the original stuff I was writing was in the vein of a Seinfeld type and eventually I ended up doing it as a bit in my regular act as somebody I'm not, you know, uh-huh. kind of, or like that. So you thought that of that as a response to maybe perhaps a criticism of me not acting natural on stage. What if I acted like this? Yeah. It's actually in my special. That is the new one, know, the new one. Yeah. Um, so it's been around that long, that bit, the, a lot of the material in the special that just came out is stuff from like, Early, earlier material of mine. You this know? is the appealing to the mainstream special. Yes. Where can people see that? On CISO, which unfortunately I heard is not maybe going to be around. As, uh, I don't know. That's a rumor I've been hearing more and more is that it might not be around. You better, do you have it on, do you have it on do you, stored? Do you have it? You have it? I, I have, you have a copy. I have a copy, but okay. hopefully it will end up somewhere else. You know, that if it does go away on CISO, you maybe be able to find it on Hulu or something. Hopefully. So when, but anyway, yeah. So yeah. So that that bit that was you know, a seed of that bit was planted when you were in high school. High school, and then um, yeah, and then even in part of like the early half of college, you know, I was like, this is how I'm supposed to do stand up, you know, and it was. But I eventually turned it into like a bit that, and it's in the special, and it's like, you know, it's kind of acting like a more observational. I mean. Sure. Uh, no, no, I, I probably do observational stuff anyway, but I mean, just a more classic kind of Seinfeld-esque comedian. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but it's more like a generic comedian character. Yeah. I get it. I, yeah. Anyway. It, it's, to make it, a, it's to make a point. And it kind of calls it, to, it makes a point about that that's not natural for me to be like that. One. Yeah. And two, there's just, it's also just about kind of just some common tropes that you see in stand-up comedy. Just a lot sure. of common isms you know like that you see that no i get attention it. to that well i think yeah. that that that's a, that that's a tricky road to hoe when in the sense that you know like uh like because you are so specifically yourself and you have a style which is you know absurd and engaged and abstract that uh you got to be really good at it which you are to at some point go like this is what all the other idiots think is good I mean, something, I don't know. It was just definitely an early response to, you know, just like, this isn't natural for me to be like this. It's natural for me to be like this, the way I'm doing it, you know, which is deliberate and presentational. Well, so you're, you're already working on bits and you're writing bits in high school, like, but when did you start working as a musician for real? Well, I started actually even a little bit doing it as a senior in high school and then, in college, I did it on and off. You know, I was working at... Um, Which school again did you go to? Uh, UC Berkeley. Yeah. So there was actually a club. What were you studying there? Uh, I majored in film studies and I minored in music. Uh-huh. And um, they uh, there was a, a jazz club in town called Mr. E's. It's owned by Pete Escovedo, uh, Latin, yeah. the Latin jazz musician. Yeah. 
and uh, his daughter's Sheila E. I don't know if the, sure, I know people her. knew that. But the, dr- the percussionist. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's what the E stands for, for yeah. Sheila. It's Escovedo. Oh, cool. Um, Did P. you ever Escobedo's. play with her? No, but I went to her birthday party oh. um, once, and Tony, Tony, Tony performed at it. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of a funny, uh, surreal uh show but so you're doing, uh, but I, I i would play at happy hour there at the club and, so the old man liked uh, you yeah he, was, he seemed to like me uh, that, that was nice the whole family they, they had a big family and they were there was really it nice a latin themed club no they no they had some latin acts sometimes but it was uh all different kinds of jazz and um but i played on and off but then i started playing full-time after college at hotels playing just background music and stuff and i did that for a few years which yeah. hotels um, primarily the one I worked at the longest was the Argent Hotel in San Francisco, which is no longer there, but I think it's actually called the St. Francis Hotel now or something. Oh yeah, that's fancy. It's on 3rd and, yeah. uh, uh, it's a little south of Mar- it's 3rd Market, basically. I worked at the Mark Hopkins Hotel. And you were just a guy in the lobby bar? Mm-hmm. Lobby, yeah. Lobby lounge. Playing yeah. standards? Standards, yeah. All standards. Although sometimes I'd slip in um non-standards uh sometimes you know i'd slip in my own original work and then sometimes uh i'd slip in like 80s video game music but jazz it up and stuff oh really every now and then which video games castlevania um uh zelda you know Uh uh-huh would people notice it sometimes people came up and be like wait is that the music of tetris and (laughs) well yeah they give me a tip you know that's what i was playing for (laughs) those guys sometimes that was your idea sometimes sometimes no I, i actually was really uh, not a really fulfilling job because most of the time people were not listening and, um, you know, it was just purely background stuff. But sometimes people would sit down next to the piano and watch and that's nice. You know, when did you, uh, did you, up. did you graduate college? Yes. Yeah. With a degree in film studies? Film studies and, and music. music. Yeah. And then, uh, I was kind of working on stand up. I didn't, I didn't get serious about stand up until right after college. What did you do your first shot up? Uh, I was doing, uh, I did, I just talked about, I had these jokes about semen and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, like spreading semen on toast and stuff. And, yeah. Um, I talked about wet dreams. And it was like a semen-based set, basically. Th- those were your <laughs> first ideas? Like, I'm going to go on stage? Well, it was, that weren't my first. I mean, I, it was an idea I felt like, oh, let's try this. I don't know why, but yeah. it, it was it's very- Visceral I, and it'll, it'll have an effect. Maybe. I, I, I think that another thing that was- I mean, it wasn't really about the content. It was about the delivery. And I was kind of really kind of trying to emulate this radio monologist named um, Joe Frank. Yeah. He was, I used to listen to him a lot in college and uh, I really liked him. And I, and I, and I kind of thought, yeah, you know, this is, I kind of feel like the way he's really deliberate, that's like how I feel like I would be a stand up comedian is. you know deliberate like that and joe frank was like you know he's no like he sort of spawned a a type of uh of radio documentary right that's joe frank some of it some of it's just fictional yeah i mean you're you're right i mean some of yeah or some of it's like Like, i know that he's got a huge following like ira glass thinks he's that guy right thinks he's i mean he's huge yeah i mean uh, in the radio world right i don't know his stuff he's one of those guys where it's like it's a blind spot for me and people have told me i should listen to him i mean no his stuff is i mean he some of it is i guess you, you would say is is nonfiction, but it's it's a lot of fictional storytelling stuff you know uh-huh. and uh very like kind of moody kind of stuff and he has this he has this voice that you know he kind of sounds like this you know he kind of, he kind of talks like that and he's not a stand-up comedian obviously right. some of his stuff is humorous but a lot of it's not and, yeah uh but the his 
there was a deliberateness to it that I, I was, I thought that kind of spoke to me and I, I thought that's kind of felt like that's how I would do stand up. I think. And so I, w- I, my first set was really intense. I was, my, my persona was like way more, you know, I, I, I think it was way more exaggerated than the way I, I am now, I'd uh-huh. say, you know, but you know, but I, I think that it's good to exaggerate your personality on stage in some way or another. I think you, know? you, you it's, it's almost inevitable. Yeah, I think that if you're going to perform, you have to be an exaggeration of yourself. Or but so you were that conscious about that. The 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 idea was not uh, you were not so much hung up on the idea of relatability as much as you were performing. Yeah, well, re- relatability wasn't. Yeah, that wasn't a concern really. But performing was. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was always about like finding a voice. You know, that was what was in- important to me. You know, finding establishing a you know the way i want uh, establishing some place to land because you do other voices and you do other- going to other personalities sure it was important to i think finding a voice is is, is the most important thing in stand-up right. comedy and right so that was always what made it hard for me to get serious about comedy was not knowing what my voice was until it clicked all of a sudden yeah kind of clicked through listening to joe frank you know but really know, kind of, yeah so uh- like listening to somebody else's voice is kind of what. Sure, well, I mean something's going to inspire you. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how was it for you? Like, because like you know, I I came up with Cross with David Cross. Yeah. You know, and I think you guys are similar in some ways. In that, not not so much personality, but that in once you locked into the bit, no matter how it was going, you Committed. were in it. <laughs> That, definitely I never I, I always never like to show weakness on stage if uh-huh. I'm having a bad set I never call attention to it because uh-huh. I feel like then you're gonna like I don't know it's like you're that's just gonna make it worse I think you know if well I, you're but you weren't engaging that part of your personality up there anyways you, you weren't gonna be the guy that was gonna like you know make light of the fact that you weren't doing well in order to turn the boat around I, I want to turn the boat around a different way, though, without right. having to acknowledge that I'm doing poorly. Right. And, I, and sometimes, you know, successfully would do that. You like, know? what's like, your go-to save when you're bombing? Well, this isn't a go-to anymore, but <laughs> one go-to I had developed at one point. This is actually, I developed this some years into doing stand-up was yeah. I would call out an, like, I would call out a table yeah. and, that, and say, I like these guys because they're not they're kind of rebels like me, yeah. you know, that like I do kind of unconventional comedy and yeah. they kind of do unconventional audience work in that they don't laugh. <laughs> and, um, and I like that. I relate to that. Cause I'm, I, you guys are rebels like me. I like that. You guys are unconventional. So I, we connected that. I wish it's like, so how boring is it that all these, all these other people are just laughing, even though they wouldn't be. I just, right, I kind of right. make it sound like every, like yeah. they were, they like just blame one table so right. that everyone else would actually start to think, that they don't want to be like that table or something. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a... Did it work? Did it save you? Yeah, yeah, it worked. That works, actually. <laughs> but I would say, like, oh, it's so boring that the, these people are just going to come to a comedy show and laugh. Yeah. You know, yeah. how, that's how just predictable. So, so predictable, exactly. And, <laughs> and so, and that would actually get the crowd... That would actually kind of that was a that was a good save actually, but I mean it didn't all that didn't always work. Well, I mean, but, but you came up doing those one nighters, which I like, is that you know you had to survive them. Definitely no, <laughs> but you know the truth is though is one if one might perceive my stand up to be different or something. Right. I think I feel like I didn't really have much of a of a challenge with crowds out in the middle of nowhere than anyone else really. Because you, know? you were like something they've never seen before. Not just that, but uh, like when you get down to it, I'm really just doing jokes and I'm doing com- stand up. Right. I'm just doing comedy and I kind of I came up doing clubs and, yeah. you know, working these one nighters and well, stuff. I'm sorry. And, do you feel like I'm pigeonholing you? 
No, no. I mean, yeah. I, no, no, no. But I, I mean, no. I mean, obviously, there, I do some things that are like somewhat different. But when you get down to it, I'm really just trying to make the, I, my goal is to make people laugh. You know, yeah. I'm not. I never want to challenge the audience in any way. You know, um, oh, I don't the, know. If they, one of the, the the agenda was not to defy them to laugh. I mean. There's been times where I've gotten upset with an audience for not being more on board, and then I'm like, and I think to myself, and I don't do this anymore, but I, I don't. I would think if you don't like that, I'm gonna give you something to really not laugh about. You and know? What would that be? Just something really abstract, and just that, just me repeating a word over and over again that until it devolves into just a sound, and you know, or something, you know, or just and or just <laughs> making just some weird noise on stage for you know like two minutes, you know, just because. You know, but that that's not that's not responsible as a comedian to do that though. I, I would do that. I, I had I've gone through periods of doing that, but yeah. I, I don't think that's the way to approach bombing. You know, right? I, especially if you're headlining and you're being, you know, I feel like if you're headlining a show, you're responsible for really trying to make this audience have a good time. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I, did that hit you? When I was head, started headlining, you know, and, yeah, you know, and you know, it's just. Um, yeah, I just you know yeah. I mean, I, but I've always I've always cared about the audience, and I've never really done jokes just for me. You know, I right. do. I, I want I, my goal is really to try to please the audience as best as possible, but also do it from a genuine place. You know, sure. So, what know. was your first like big bit where you're like, this is it? Which what was your closing bit? Well, you know, I At used to beginning. be. You know, I also worked as a substitute teacher for a period of time. Yeah, and uh, I had a lot of material about substitute teaching, and that that was that went over really well when I people first started connected with it. Yeah, I used to do a lot of urban rooms, and and when I st- kind of started, oh yeah, that, those are my first booked shows. Were like Where? the first, like at Kimball's East. In, in, in Emeryville, which uh-huh. is Oakland, basically, yeah, or like Mingles in Oakland, yeah, and um, they, you know, these were just like you know the audiences were pretty much entirely black crowds and um the, the material the substitute teaching stuff really resonated with those crowds for some reason yeah those were kind of my big bit that was yeah. my big bit was the substitute teaching stuff and then like stuff about gangster i just have a bit i still do it i actually i do bits from that are 15 years old because um i don't know that i think when there's a new audience it's always fresh to me you know but you know i i don't think there's uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that yeah i mean i, I don't mean, uh, yeah. and also it's not like you get, you know, there's the there, like depending on how big you are and what the expectations are. I mean, outside of your own sort of yeah. like pressure you put on yourself, you know, there's no reason to do you know older great bit. There's no reason not to do older great bits. Yeah, if you know, like you, you're just a guy working a room and no one's there necessarily to see you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've I've let so many fucking bits go that I'm mad about. Like I don't even know if I could retrieve them. Oh, really? At this point? Oh, because they're just like they were not recorded in any sort of way well they were but like i just like i think that i come from the school of thought where it's like well it's um, i recorded it so it's over and so stupid yeah you know like because i did some bit that i worked for fucking six months on yeah on the john oliver stand-up show yeah yeah yeah. it took a long time to write this plane crash bit also people want to see the stuff they've seen before too i remember that was a thing to get used to was the bits i saw on tv of comedians that i would see at the punchline, I'd always go anytime that you know when I started. I was any every week I would see the headliner. And yeah, come there, you know, to watch them. And I, I was like waiting for the bit that I'd saw on on TV somewhere because you want to see if it worked again. No, I just like kind of like the to, bit? it's like I don't know. I, I think a lot of times bits don't like they can be repeated and you could still appreciate them like a song. I think you know. I think so too. I mean, like I, I think some people argue that if there's you know you know the punchline, you're not going to laugh as hard or something. But right. I think. 
going back to Arj Barker, for example, sometimes he has these really long setups and yeah. then the punchline comes. If you know the punchline, it makes the setup so much funnier because right. you know where he's going with it. And it's you you definitely can re-watch stuff I and think still what, appreciate and I, it. You know? Right. And I think also, too, when, with somebody who's so performance-based as yeah. you are, that they want to see you do the crazy thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, again, yeah, again the, there's a, the visceral quality right. makes it more musical. And, yeah. and you, you can definitely appreciate I, I At least I'd... I'd like to be able to do bits that you can appreciate more than once. You yeah, know? I kind of yeah. like, I, I wonder about that. Like, because I, like, I hold myself to some standard and I did it all along before I had anybody who gave a shit about who I was or anything where, like, I wouldn't do any of these old materials. Like, I just got done, you know, doing a, a new special, right? And I got it down to a nice tight 70 minutes. It, it's, mm -hmm. it was smooth and it worked. Mm -hmm. And once I recorded the special, like, I stopped, you know, touring it. Where I should have toured another three months with it, but I was tired. But, like, like now, like part of me is sort of like, I don't even want to deal with those bits anymore. And like, if you don't want to do them, then, but you know. But why, why, why wouldn't I, you know? Well, maybe they're just kind of, you feel tired about it or something. But yeah. I, like to me, and I do, you know, about bits, but sometimes if I do a, I do a bit and it's, maybe it's a crowd I hasn't seen or something. Yeah. Or there was a bit I remember I was doing at one point and I remember this, this one guy was laughing in the audience so hard at it that it reminded me that it was fun to do that bit, you know? Or That's like exactly I, lost, I lost sight of the bit a little bit. Right. And then this guy was appreciating it in this way that made me feel like, Oh yeah, this this is funny. It's you know? funny, <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and that that's like that's the that's the the payoff. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah. it is it's sort of like you work these bits out, and then you do them. And, and if you're like me, it works, it works, and then eventually it drifts away. But then when you re-engage it, and where you don't have to like not so much is invested in it, the thing's already fucking this tight piece of thing. You can like, well, I'm just gonna do this, and I'm just gonna do, like put it out there because I know it works. You know, I have to fucking you know, sweat over this bit. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's just sort of like, I made this. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, I mean, some yeah. bits, as long as you like doing them or there's new audiences to appreciate them, mm -hmm. it's always, it feels, it's fun for me. I mean. Well, how many, like, you've done like, what, four CDs? Um, I guess there are four now. There's one that just came out that's, but that the one that just came out sort of like a, uh, an audio version of the special that came out. Right. But yeah, I, I would say three really, you know. Yeah. Three and a special. Yeah. And um, like you just made uh, an allusion to the uh, the musicality. Yeah, musicality. Yeah. So you see these the process of your bits and act as having that quality because I know Absolutely, you do some yeah. music. You use recorded music sometimes. Yeah. And you play yeah. music sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm, playing music is like a one time thing. I wish I did do play mu more music in com in my comedy, but for some reason, I always felt that they were kind of separate. But uh, no, yeah, definitely musicality. I mean, I've always, you know, tried to make comedy that's more less sort of cerebral and more visceral. Yeah. Just more visceral. You know, more of the more on the Harpo Marx end of things. You know, just just because um, I just like the the guttural I like the nonverbal kind of uh, you know yeah. interaction you know I just think there's a pureness to that in the comedy the p comedy of there's a like give me an example I don't know like an, an example just being physical comedy you know sure. like there's you laugh at it in the way that you would laugh you don't have to think I just don't like having to think about may do math while right. you, while you're watching comedy you know like if you just watch someone make a funny face for example or say something funny yeah, in, in a funny way you know as opposed to the logic the, 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 yeah as opposed Turning to the logic phrase. yeah as opposed to like putting two and two together to get a joke right there's much more of an immediate response and it's just a real purity to that you know and i really like that about do you comedy. find that in if you look at your life that do you you're a cerebral person what you think 
Uh, yes. So that the, the element of making these performance choices were, you know, to, I guess, not only challenge yourself, but to transcend your own fucking trapped mind thing. Well, kind of. I mean, yeah. Well, I just know that when I, what I respond to the hardest is yeah. the visceral as- aspects of stand-up comedy, you know. As a performer, as, a, as an audience oh, member, yeah? you know, or as an appreciator of comedy. And it's, and so I'm, I'm thinking... Well then, that's that's how that's to me. That's just that's what I, I love about comedy is the visceral aspect. So I should do that too, and I and actually I enjoy perform the performance aspect of it more than the writing aspect of it. You know, yeah, yeah, like you know, because I, I think that then there's definitely like a turning not a turning point, but I realized more and more as I did stand up comedy that I was more interested in the sounds of words rather than the words themselves. You know, or, yeah, yeah. Well, I think sounds. I've seen you do that. I think I've seen you do the thing where you repeat something until it I mean, becomes, I probably do it a lot in different ways. You until know, it becomes but, yeah. noises. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I probably, maybe probably have. Yeah, maybe. But um, I, I just think sounds and visuals that just tap into something that's, you know, goes beyond language, and then you, I don't know, you appreciate right. it in a more childlike way, in a way. Or yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Um, yeah, I, I wish I did more of that stuff. Well, I think that your visceral thing is your sort of persona. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, I think it sums up in, in this funny, I don't know, there's this <laughs> memory I have of you in a car. I think I've probably brought this up to you a couple times already. <laughs> but do you know where I'm, go- where uh-huh. I'm going at with this? Uh-huh. Um, we were in this, it was at some comedy festival, I oh, think. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. we were in a shuttle. Yeah. And you're sitting up in the front, the, the front passenger seat. And yeah. I was right behind you. And you almost seemed like you were talking to yourself. You were kind of talking to us, but you were kind of talking to yourself in a way. Yeah. <laughs> there was like all these, it was a Friday night or Saturday night and all these kind of younger people were out on the street and they, you know, they, they just look like clubber kind of people. Yeah. And I remember you just, just kind of staring out the window and you just said, look at these fucking idiots. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. And it just cracked me up so much. I was like cracking up the rest of the ride back to the hotel. But I just like thought that's your visceral thing. It's just being that, you know, that energy, you know, and exuding that yeah. kind of energy yeah. uh, on yeah. stage. I think that's your. Yeah. That's I've got, your I thing, think I've you know? softened up a little bit. Pro- yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. kind of remember that. What city were we in? Chicago, dude? maybe. Actually. Was it Chicago? Maybe, maybe it was Chicago. I'm not like sure. Like years ago, though. It's probably quite a while ago at this point, yeah. Maybe, or I don't know. It might have been six years ago or something. Right, and it was just one of those streets where it's just like dumb young club people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, and it's (laughs) like such an alien landscape. This is so cracked me up. Also, what was funny is like I totally got it too. I know what you meant. You know, it was just so funny. I was cracking up. But it was there was a visceral quality to that. But I think that's the visceral quality in your stand up that I think is. Well, yeah, I I throw myself into the present pretty hard. You know, I'm not sweeping through anything. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's. That's definitely a thing. Uh, by the way, I don't. I, I actually like people to be cerebral about my comedy after the fact. You know sure. what I mean? But I think in the moment, I right. think I don't want. I don't really want people to think too hard. You know, I don't right. want people to think at all. Actually, I just want them to react. And I think sometimes that is an issue, or was in the past, where maybe people were thinking too hard. Like, wait, what does he mean by that? Or well, yeah, it's not, does it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. It's actually as stupid as it looks. And just, well, I think that's an interesting sort of like the the idea of absurdism in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like because I, you know, there's very few people who can do it well, and you do it well, but like it's not. It's not a standard path because I think it is challenging to do it for the reasons that I said earlier, which is like, is this an affectation of somebody who is just, you know, uh, you know, wanting to be seen as, you know, like, like someone who's like a genius or is it something that happens in earnest, which is what you're talking about and something that's very deliberate and thought through like you're talking about. But the nature of absurdism, I think, is to is actually to 
to if not initially confused but to defy any sort of explanation so yeah. you're, you're forced into the moment and and it, and it in in your brain wants an explanation but you have to it has to relax into the fact that there isn't one yeah I, well that's precisely like the kind of the crux of what i would like to do is make comedy that people don't understand necessarily in their head but they just understand on some other level or they don't need to understand why it's funny yeah. they just it's funny inherently you know? right that's i think that that's that to me again goes back to comedy in its purest form it's that's just, the journey it's just you know but not that i don't appreciate like no i you know, get it well-crafted literary bits and stuff you know but i think there is bits, some but, analogy to you you know to that to jazz improvisation yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. its most extreme right definitely yeah so not unlike you do with comedy, you know, having done those gigs, having played with the form, having, you know, talked in a general way about things that, you know, it's like, how do we get to this pure place, you know, at the risk of, of people going like, it's, I don't fucking get it. Right, right, right. But I mean, it's always been a, like a goal for me to like bridge that pure place to an audience that will connect with it too. Right. You know, yeah. Well, that, well, I mean, that's why you chose comedy. Yeah, well, it's also comedy over music, at least. It was just so much more immediate and fulfilling in a way, you know? Yeah. Because you could just write stuff or come up with some Go bits. Go right up there. And, and do it that, that night, you know? Right. And also, not just that, but, like, get an immediate response where you know exactly how people are appreciating it rather than with music. It's a little more ambiguous to how people, if they're listening or they're, are they really in, are they connecting right. with this or what? You know? Yeah, because yeah. no one's going like, oh, I like that chord. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, they're not yeah. snapping their fingers. Nice note. <laughs> yeah. Good, oh, good note. Good, good note. note. Very good, good, note. Note. good note. note. No, but you just, the connection is a lot more apparent with comedy. You know? What's your favorite bit of yours to do? How does it go? How does favorite, it work? The favorite bit? Like, what's the one where you're like, I'm excited to do this one? Well, I don't, I mean, this is a really old bit, but I, it's still fun to do. I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, it changes. I mean, always the new stuff is fun to do. You're right. You know? Yeah. Because you know. It changes all the time, but like, I don't know, something that's lasted over yeah, time. Yeah. I always used to do this bit, and this was like a closer for a while, but it was, it's kind of like, the opposite response to acting natural was yeah. acting people maybe criticizing me for being too creepy on stage. Right. So then I'd act kind of creepier and kind of do a thing where, I, and it's in the special as yeah. well, but kind of rub my head on the, the microphone stand and then kind of just do some kind of weird one-liners and then just kind of go into the audience and smell somebody. And yeah. I don't know, it's just a fun bit because yeah. people get in. I don't know, people just, that's always been a fun one to do because more the response, I guess, and people being into it. And but, you go into sort of a character. Yeah, it's a, it's a character piece. You know? When you go into character, because like, you know, I can feel it, but do you, because like, you know, what impresses me about you and about guys who do what you do is that is that commitment. Like we yes. all commit, yeah, you, yeah. Know, to, you know, once you get the hang of it, you know, when you enter a long bit of any kind, you're like, well, this, I'm not, there's no ejecting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you like kind of get lost in a character, which I've done for moments, uh-huh. it's sort of like there's that mixture of being all alone and, and knowing that you're in some like almost like a, a different territory, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and it's almost like that, especially if there's room to improvise in it, like you're saying, yeah. where you're like, um, it's completely fucking immediate, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But do you lose yourself completely or when you're in it, are you like, okay, I'm going to go do this, you know? I mean, I think I'm probably, uh, I don't probably lose myself ever, you yeah, know? I'm probably yeah. always there, but I definitely want to create the illusion that it's somebody else, you sure. know? Like, I definitely want it to feel believable, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. Uh, or like, I want it to feel really real, you know, and not feel like I'm... I want it to 
feel like it's a this is a new person, you know? And yeah, like, yeah. Because I just feel like, you know, if I'm fully committed to something, the nuances really shine and, you know, that's just going to make for good comedy, I think, you know? Yeah, Like, definitely. I just think commitment is just really important, so. Stay um, in it. Um, I think, you know, because I hate it when, I, I don't really like, I mean, winking is always just takes away from a joke, you know, or like a bit, you know? Yeah. If somebody's doing an act out and or, then they you know, wink that it's like, or they laugh at themselves or something unless the the laughing is really coming from a genuine spontaneous place but when they're doing like if you see the same comic do the same laugh point at, for themselves yeah. you know show after show and it's i mean i don't know that's just i i think i think those i mean that's just winking basically yeah it's a, i think it's a weird habit that happens out of insecurity i don't think that most of you know and i've done that in my career i don't oh, know oh you that, did fake laughs not fake laughs no, but uh, it just becomes sort of like this habit you know, it's it's it 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 becomes integrated into the bit. I oh, guess the laugh, kinda. Oh, oh, so it just out of habit, you were laughing at a bit. Oh, really? Sometimes. Oh, that's like because yeah. like like any other part of a bit. Like it, it, you know, when I smoked a lot of pot, I would have a, a different disposition on stage where like I would be getting a real kick out of myself, and I think I honestly was, but I do think that you know that was also a, a method. To get them laughing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. You yeah. know, I think it is a bit disingenuous and I think it is a trick, but yeah. uh, but I, I don't think it's as, you know, uh, dubious or calculated as much as it just, it just becomes the way you do that bit. Yeah. You know, it just becomes a beat in the bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think it's a good thing. Well, there's another, there's another one of those kinds of things that comedians do, which is after they'll say something, a punchline, they'll say, and I, uh, which is to kind of create the illusion that it's off the cuff almost that they said that, you know, right, but it, right. it's not, you know, because they say that every time. Right. And the andaya is a cue for like, now is where you laugh, you know? So it's like, blah, 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 punchline, andaya. And the andaya is the, that's the cue for you. That's now, that's the cue for you to laugh. The have have you ever improvised with just that? That well, word, I, and I, uh, and I, and I, and I, and I, I use, I use it in that, in that, the bit about the, in the, the comedian, the, oh, you the, do. The, and the, I, the, the generic comedian. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, but that's, but that's, you know, that one and they don't finish it, you know, but that's, uh, yeah, yeah, right. But that's, uh, yeah, but that's, and that's, right. that's the, <laughs> that's the other uh, cue. Yeah. Then well, the, during the last, like, and I, uh, yeah, you know, so yeah, right. <laughs> So I don't know. Like I kind of think of those as kind of signal, like artificial signalers, signalers. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like these kind of contrived yeah. ways of signaling the audience when to laugh. And so stuff, you're you know? you're you're uh, you're you're uh, an assassin. <laughs> an assassin? What do you mean? Well, like you know, like you'll you'll pick apart the mundane and and find out you know what it hinges on, and then sort of like turn it in on itself. And it will, there's a little bit of fuck you to you. Uh, no, no, no. I, I just, I just, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a fan of comedy and I, yeah. I just, I pay attention to a lot, a yeah, lot of yeah. the details of yeah. what people do as comedians. You right. Know? And then there's things that I, I, I just sort of see certain things and I see, I notice certain patterns and then some of those patterns, I think. You're not compelled at all by like, you know, uh, I'll show you. No, 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 not at all. No, okay. I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll keep it positive, you know. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, there's things I definitely, there's things I don't like. Cert, there's certain things I definitely don't like in right. stand-up comedy. Sure. I really don't like it when comedians, 
um, feel a liberty to start getting really physical with a crowd, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like what? To like sit on them or something or like touch their, start touching, you know, just being really touchy. Like I- Does that or, happen or, a lot? It's, some, yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know? People, huh. I feel like sometimes people feel like because they're, they have a microphone, they have a liberty, they feel a liberty to just do whatever they want. I don't know? like when people bring people up on stage. Oh, I do that a lot. I know, I know. <laughs> You're joking? Or are you serious? Well, no, sometimes, like, I'm trying to remember how you do it. What was the context? I mean, there's a different, there's, I do it in different ways, but one of them is, in the special, there's, I'd bring someone up to sing happy birthday to them in a very sort of... Well, that's nice, but uh, you know, like... No, no, but it's like in a very kind of, you know, R&B kind of way, you know? Right. Um, well, no, there's something about, like, I don't mind it if people, if the comic takes care of the person. I do not, I don't like making audience members feel uncomfortable, contrary to what someone might actually think, you know? Yeah. Like, anytime I involve an audience member, I really want them to be comfortable. And if they don't aren't comfortable, I don't want them to come up, have you, actually. Have you, well, have you ever actually, seen that thing where someone brings somebody on and they use them for the joke, but don't really dispatch them properly to where the person's just sitting there like, do I... I mean, yeah. I, well, I don't. I don't like being. I don't like mean stuff, you know. Right, but right. I, I like. I, there's an element of like them not knowing how to re- react. That's kind of could be kind yeah. of funny, you yeah, know. And if they're volunteering, but, why not? It's yeah, like but a if, hypnotist. I always say, if I ask someone to, if I ask to bring them on stage, I say like, if you're not comfortable, don't worry about it, you know. Yeah. And they'll either opt out or not, because I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to, uh, you know. I just. I'm actually just really conscious of the, audi- the audience's comfort level i don't want them to be uncomfortable really I, yes i mean absolutely i am just don't i want them to just have but a good time but you yeah. write a line come on i mean i understand <laughs> I, I, okay there's a line yeah a little bit of like yeah it's a tiny bit of uncomfortability is okay as long okay. as they're willing to be uncomfortable right. a little bit but that's only when i'm doing kind of a little bit of interaction really not to be honest you know i really kind of want them to just come to the show and have a good time and just have fun you know there's no party that's sort of like this is gonna fuck them up a little no 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 come on (laughs) no not real i mean there's an element of of like oh they're gonna like this one it's more just like i want them to like it and have fun with it you know okay but not an, an element of like i want to put them off or something you know no no, no, I don't want to put. I don't. I never want to be off-putting. I don't. I don't want to be offensive in any way either. You know. But yeah. I think that like it feels to me that like some party just from watching you the few times I have that like there is a tone set that is not I- initially comfortable. Well, that's like just when, me being myself, really. Right. I, 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 which I can't change. Like, I don't. I don't. I don't want to like be phony on stage and be somebody else. Right. To, to just so that they like me more. Right. I want, but I also don't want them to dislike me. You know what I mean? So I get it's, it. It's it's kind of like. It might be by nature off-putting, you know, but to some people. But Just, it's but not, once they get the hang of you, yeah. But I would, I mean, ideally, <laughs> from the get-go, they will be, they won't be put off, you know. Right. Uh, and, no, I think and, that's true. But yeah. I, I just, I can't be fake about, like, I'm not gonna be fake about warming them up to me, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just have to be real about it. Right. So, right. Well, that's you know, respectable. It, it's like a balance of like being real yeah. and being myself, and also pleasing the crowd too, and you know. You just, I mean, hence yeah, the so, title of the new special. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That's very much part of. Yeah, that's that's definitely a theme. Yeah. Well, it's good talking to you, buddy. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Appealing to the mainstream on CISO, right? Which hopefully, hopefully it'll still be. Yeah, hopefully. It'll well, be what have you heard? Like tomorrow or? No, I don't. I don't. I I actually have no idea. But look, appealing to the mainstream is the title, so it'll eventually bring just find that, and then right. it'll bring you to. Right. All right. Well, it's, it's good to finally talk, Brent. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. All right. 
All right, that's it. That's our show. I do not have a guitar. I don't feel like playing mouth jazz. I'm going to just get my mind straight. I'm going to focus in and, uh, you know, deal with the, the dad situation, have some food, and uh, try not to freak out and ruin my vacation. All right? Okay. Boomer live!